0: The following audio content is a talk given at The Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. Welcome once again to The Inn and University Ministries. My name's Ryan Church. My good friends call me the R. And I'm glad that you are, are here. I had a, the opportunity to at least greet a few people coming in this evening that were here for the first time. And Whether it's for the first time or for the several after that, we again say thank you for coming. We're stoked uh, that you are here on this last day of summer, this last uh, in of September, as we get ready to ramp things up for 2010-2011. Uh, before we get into the chaos of the fall, I want to let you know of a couple of things that are going to be happening around here. The first is this, and to tell you about this, I gotta be the, uh, that proud, bragging dad really quick that, uh, that's my son, Carson, okay? And, you, you know, I'm not one of these crazy dads that is like, you know, trying to invent the next Tiger Woods here. But my son, who just turned two last Monday, does have a wicked golf swing, to be totally sure. Now, uh, I show you a picture of Carson because my son is just one of nearly uh, 500 kids in this congregation, uh, be, you know, between ages two and sixth grade uh, that are looking for mentors, that are looking for support. And one of the ways that you can get involved in the life of this church is to serve the kids of this neighborhood. Cute little guys like Carson. Come on, people. And uh, specifically, uh, some needs that we have are for our Sunday evening uh, Sunday schools. That's in the 5 o'clock hour. If that's something that interests you, uh, I challenge you to respond. But also, midweek uh, for Pioneers, uh, Pioneer Girls and Boys Crew, which are middle school or um, elementary age children. Charlie? How old are they? Second through fifth fifth grade. There you go. Um, And so if that's something, if if kids are a passion for you or you're just looking for a way to serve in this neighborhood, uh, what a great opportunity to get involved. Now, uh, there are tons of other things through university ministries that you can uh, connect to. You've already heard about core groups. And come back next week and the week that follows, and you will hear about scores of other things from mission trips to uh, retreats, to other groups that you can attach to and find community in this place. I am deeply convinced that there is something for everyone uh, that's college-aged here at UMIN, and we hope that, that you will connect to that. And also, something I'm really excited about is this uh, fall at the end, we are going to be doing a preaching series through the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. Now, Revelation is one of those books that can tend to be intimidating and mysterious. And what I want to, the cliffhanger that I want to give you tonight, uh, that you might come back not only next week but throughout the fall, is that this is a series that is really about Jesus. And what Revelation tells us is primarily about how Jesus Christ is and the kingdom that Jesus is ushering in right now. Now. Revelation is the book of the Bible that tells us most about how Jesus is right now. We're going to preach through this as if Revelation is like a fifth gospel. I'm pretty convinced that, that uh, even for those of you that have heard uh, this book talked about before, this will be a, a new way to hear it. And my hope is that for whether you are exploring a relationship with Jesus for the first time or if you've been coming to church your entire life and have been following Jesus for a long time, that this would be uh, a refreshment for you, that this would be challenging, and and it would be something very old uh, that is heard in a new way. So come back and join us next week as we start Revelation. Bring a friend. I think it's going to be a great time. Uh, So there's your your cliffhanger. Da, da, da. Now, tonight, we're going to finish a series where we've been looking at this idea of transformation. We've been putting our weight down on this reality that, that the Spirit of God, as it comes into our lives and is in the world, changes things. It shakes things up. We like to call that transformation. And one of the ways that we've been looking at that is to look at a couple of different places in the Bible where somebody's name is changed. And to use that, to see that as an indicator of God's transforming work. The first week of of September, we got to hear about how God gave Abram a new name. Abraham. God changed Abram's name. And then last week, we got to hear from Janie. And and she shared with us that great story of Jesus changing Simon's name to Peter. Jesus changes Simon's name. So you have these snapshots of God changing a name, of Jesus changing a name. But tonight, we look at a story where it, it goes the other direction. Where the name that's given is not by God, and it's not a name that is necessarily wanted. Now, to give you an idea what it looks like to take on a name that, that might feel a little bit arbitrary and unwelcome, I want to show you uh, this clip from the party and fraternity classic Animal House. Go ahead and take a look at this clip uh, from National Lampoon's Animal House. (laughs) So tonight we look at a character who, like these Delta pledges in Animal House, they are in a totally foreign and new environment, and they are, certainly in my mind's eye, uh, given this name from this foreign king, uh, similar to the way that the Delta pledges uh, have, have been given, and is... The reason that their names are changed are with the hopes that, that these guys, as we've seen on the screen, might conform to a particular culture in the Delta Tau Chi fraternity at Faber College. And, and likewise, as these guys come into a new kingdom, this kingdom of Babylon, it is hope, the hope is that they would be changed, that they would kind of assimilate themselves Into a new culture. But the difference. Is that as we look at this character. Whose name is Daniel. The difference is that he finds. In the midst of all this change. He roots himself. In the one who is consistent. And integrity follows. When when change arises. He roots himself himself in the one who is consistent. And integrity follows. So where do your names come from? Who gives you your names? What are the the source or the meaning of your names? Of your name or the names that you may may have. Now, the name Ryan, for example, means uh, the Gaelic prince. Named after the Gaelic prince. Now... I challenge you with this, to find anybody older than me, I'm 34 for transparency's sake, Okay, to find anybody older than me named Ryan. I don't know what it was about something in the mid-70s, but the year I was born, 1975, was the last time that the, the first name Ryan for a male baby in the United States of America was outside of the top 20. Okay, Since 1976, right up until last year, Ryan has been on, a, on an amazing run of popularity in the top 20 baby names. And I don't know what it is, because before before 1975, there were, relatively speaking, very few people named Ryan. So as a result, in my life, rarely have I actually been called Ryan. When I went to... To elementary school, even in my kindergarten class, I was immediately called Ryan C. Well, as I continued into uh, elementary school, there were other Ryan C's in the class, so we immediately started going by our last name. Even teachers just called me church, pretty much from the time I was in third grade up through graduating from high school. So then I came to the University of Washington in 1994, moved into a fraternity right here on 17th. And when I moved into the fraternity, check this out, uh, in, a, in a house of, of, at the time, about 80 guys, there were nine Ryans. Nine Ryans. And that doesn't include the Bryans. That were in the house. I mean, you throw the Bryans in there, and you've got like fifteen, sixteen of ninety of ninety guys. It's pretty pretty big percentages there, of you know a similar name or a name that sounds the same. Well, so of course, uh, being in the fraternity, similar to what we just saw, uh, that's a place that's just ripe with with nicknames. And I don't know, in that that era of my life, I was a very outspoken and passionate. Persecutor of the Washington State Cougars. This was before the Oregon Ducks really became obnoxious, so the Cougs were the big target for those of us that were enrolled at the University of Washington. And and I don't, because of my, you know, apparently because of my demonstrated passion and skill around persecuting Cougs, the guys in my house thought it would be funny to nickname me Coug, and I was like. I was like, whatever you guys, and whatever that—it doesn't bug me. Well, they would persist in calling me "coog" and "coog" and "coog" until I, I would I would snap, okay? I would "coog" it, and I would, <laughs> you know, I would go on some, you know, profanity-laced tirade, you know, where something would get broken, and and it was it usually turned out pretty embarrassing for me, but uh, apparently it was good comedy for the provocateurs. Uh, but they. They would give me, give me this name that I didn't necessarily want. And, of course, by reacting, I was playing in to exactly what they wanted me to do. Well, that's the whole point of, in our story, why Daniel receives this new name. You see, his captors are trying to get a particular reaction out of him. And Daniel is one that is in the midst of great change. You see, he's been as a, as a citizen of Judah. This opposing kingdom called Babylon, led by this, this very powerful king named Nebuchadnezzar, kind of looked around the region and they said, we think that things are pretty ripe here for regime change. So there's a new sheriff in town and Nebuchadnezzar comes on in, takes takes over, over Judah and, and with it uh, tries, to, tries to assimilate the best and the brightest of those uh, that were citizens of Judah, these Israelites, to bring into his fold. So after this happens, this is where we want to pick up the story. Uh, and hear about the prophet Daniel in his new name. So uh, we'll we'll project this on the board. This is from Daniel chapter one, verse three. And as we read this, notice uh, notice the work of God, and notice the perhaps uh, the things that are that would change for Daniel, and notice how he remains consistent. Okay, the story says this. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz king of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal royal family and nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. Teach them something entirely different. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were eager, they they were to enter the king's service. Now, among those who were chosen were some from Judah. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave to them new names. Daniel... Your Babylonian name shall be Belshazzar. And to Hananiah, your Babylonian name shall be Shadrach. Mishael, your Babylonian name shall be Meshach. Why Meshach? Why not? And to Azariah, your Babylonian name is Abednego. Abednego? Abednego? So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them veggies instead. To these four young men God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kind. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief officials presented them to Nebuchadnezzar And the king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them. And he found them ten times better than all of the other advisors, that is, the magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there through three kings, Darius and Tel, the first king of Cyrus. Okay, so what changes here and what remains consistent here? Three things that I want you to note that changed in this story. One is simply culture. Daniel is coming from a Hebrew or Israelite perspective. And as he is being, becoming Belshazzar, they want him to study this whole new culture, this literature, this, this new language. And as part of that, there would have certainly been a study of the Babylonian religion, which was more of a polytheistic religion. Daniel coming from this place of being fiercely loyal to this one God that would be known as Yahweh. And yet what the text tells us is that God gave Daniel and his friends, this person that the king would call Belshazzar, an insight into this language and the literature and the culture in a way that separated Daniel and these guys from the other advisors in this kingdom. But even as he learned about these other people, if we were to fast forward into chapter 2, what we see is that Daniel stayed committed and loyal to Yahweh. Isn't that interesting? notice that Daniel was able to go into this environment where everything was new and everything seemed to be changing and study hard and learn, yet he, he was able to keep his eye on that thing. And in this case, that God he had known the whole time. He could do both, people. He could study this new culture but hold on to his own. Everything was changing, but something stayed consistent. And that consistency came from God. Of course, the next one has to do with a new diet, the new potential for a diet. For those of you that have read through some of the Old Testament, you perhaps noticed in in places like Leviticus where there's a, a host of dietary laws that are set out, Uh, that the people of Israel might not defile themselves. This has been a way of life for Daniel and, of of course, for us. And I don't know if it was this way for Daniel, but in the way that this story plays out in my head, you know, even if you do have those dietary restrictions, I wonder if uh, those, those Israelites ever looked and go, man, that piece of pork sure looks good right now. And then all of a sudden for Daniel, this opportunity where he's coming into the king's court and being whined and dined. Even as Nebuchadnezzar has come down and asked these guys to come into his service, notice he's not torturing them. He's whining and dining them. This is, this is like somebody that, that comes up and says, Hey, let me take you out to the finest restaurant in Seattle. I'm going to treat you to something real nice. For you students out there, you know, are going, okay, anything to get away from my normal routine of macaroni and cheese and, you know, some top ramen that isn't totally done, you know, little MSG and noodles or whatever it's in those, in those things. You have somebody that comes and says, let me take you out. And we're talking about the full on. We're talking about appetizers. You know, we're, we're talking about bread, we're talking about a, an incredible entree with the side, great wine, dessert, the whole thing. And it's on them. But there are strings attached. You see, everything is changing for Daniel and his friends. And in this case, even even part of their diet is being changed as they are brought in for the hopes that they become something different. This is a strategy that we use all the time, right? In business or in dating. This whole idea of whining and dining. And that is exactly what is happening with Daniel and his friends as they come under the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. Yet, they say, as good as this must be, Food from the royal table, the best in the region, the finest restaurant, and the best wine. No thank you. Because we trust God. This is who we are. And even in this new place, thanks, but no. We don't want to defile ourselves. So the cultures change, the food has changed, and of course, as we're talking about the, the most obvious one based on our series, the name has changed. But here's what we notice, is that Daniel is given this new name, Belshazzar, and somehow Daniel lives in to both. He lives into two different names. He continues throughout, especially the first six chapters of Daniel, to be referred to as Daniel. But anytime time he comes into contact with the king, he is referred to as Belshazzar. He functions as a Hebrew, as a high-standing Babylonian. Somehow, in this new name, Daniel is able to keep and maintain the identity of his old name. In all things that are new as Belshazzar, what remains consistent is Daniel. Daniel functions in Babylon as Belshazzar. And he does so as a loyal servant to the king. Everything is changing for Daniel. He's, he's being pulled away from everything that he once knew. And everything seems to be New. Everything coming at him has a motive for making him into something different. That's the whole idea of what a king who's trying to uh, fulfill imperialistic ambitions is doing. They're trying to be, to indoctrinate these guys. Why does this matter to you? Everything as I understand it for college students, is pulling you a million different directions. Marketers are trying to get you to buy their thing with the hopes that you might feel more fulfilled. People are trying to to get you to be something that you are not. Perhaps something you don't want to be. They're trying to get you to fulfill their desires perhaps in an organization you work for, perhaps in a relationship with a, a man or a woman. You're being pulled a bunch of different directions, and in some of those directions, you don't want to go there. Everything could be changing around you. Whether you are a freshman or a senior, everything is competing for your attention and trying to get you to live into a role that sometimes leaves you feeling completely confused and like all that surrounds you is chaos. And what we get in Daniel is the snapshot of somebody who in great change finds consistency in God and out of that consistency follows an integrity Daniel in the midst of change finds the one who is consistent and integrity follows it is that that I want to make two brief reflections on tonight first off Daniel and his friends as they come into Nebuchadnezzar's service, remember their roots. I believe they remembered their hope in God. Their hope that God, even in the midst of everything that seemed to contradict it for them, it looked as if this new kingdom was going to win, but their hope was in something that said God will win. They remember their roots, their hope, what they are all about. One way that you might say this is, is like this. Okay? As somebody who grew up in Port Angeles, Washington, I like to say uh, around particular nuances of my you know, life or outlook, uh, a phrase that, that sometimes comes up is, you can take the boy out of Port Angeles, but you can't take the Port Angeles out of the boy. Right? One of the ways that I, I hesitate to share this with you guys for fear that it might be exploited But one of the ways that you can take the boy out of PA, but you can't take the PA out of the boy, is that I live right here in this neighborhood. But growing up out in Port Angeles, we never, ever, ever locked our doors. Okay, Our doors were just always open. Like, if we were home, the door was open. And by home, I mean if we were in town. If our family was in town, even if we were going to be gone for, you know... All day, the door was always open. Never locked the car doors. Okay? In part, because I probably never had anything that, could, that I actually cared that would get stolen. This was before cell phones and GPSs and laptop computers and stuff like that. I'd probably lock the door now. Or maybe not. Because, all that to say, even in this neighborhood now... I tend to not really care about locking the door at my house. Now, my wife definitively and authoritatively puts the ixnay on that and locks the door. But it's one of the ways that you can take the boy out of Port Angeles, but you can't take the Port Angeles out of the boy because there's something in me that does not feel compelled to lock the door when I leave my house in an urban neighborhood. Well, with Daniel, you can take the boy out of Judah... But you can't take the Judah out of the boy. You see, he remembers his roots. He remembers what he believes in. Those, those disciplines that he had, he holds on to. Yes, he might be studying a new culture, a new, new literature and new language. But he remembers the language and the literature that he studied beforehand. Those things that we might also study that would come out of of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. He knew those. And he could still study. You could take the boy out of Judah, but you can't take the Judah out of the boy. You see, he found consistency in this thing that he knew, even in an environment of great change. Two... It's striking to me that even in the midst of effectively being a prisoner, albeit a prisoner who's being wined and dined, Daniel and his friends trusted God. Okay? And they trusted something, I think, very specific. They didn't just trust God. That's a phrase we love to throw around. But they trusted God to give. Verse 17. To these four men, God gave Knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And that is something that you would see if you continue, especially through the first six chapters of Daniel. God repeatedly gives Daniel uh, and his friends uh, what they need in a particular moment. They believe and have faith in a God that gives. And here's the key in this story. They believe that what God can give is better than whatever the king of Babylon or whatever Babylonian culture can give. They cling to God being able to give what their surroundings, what their conditions, and what the culture could not. I want to tell you a little bit of my story this evening. I alluded to it earlier as I came from Port Angeles to be a student here at the University of Washington uh, in, in the mid-90s and I had grown up uh, in a church out there on the Olympic Peninsula but it, it wasn't one that, that uh, I, I, I didn't have a really uh, clear or solidified relationship with the Lord as I came over and as I moved into a fraternity similar to if you were to continue watching Animal House I uh, found myself intrigued by uh, what these things that I like to refer to as garden variety fraternal hedonism might be able to offer me. Okay, like many of you, like many of my peers, there was a pursuit of pleasure and finding, finding meaning in, in having fun and doing whatever I needed to do to, to feel good in any given moment, even if it came at the expense of others or myself. Well, as I was uh, in in this fraternity, what was interesting is that uh, even even in the first week I was over here, I came to church. And then after a girl broke up with me, I ended up here at the inn, and, and that was pro- that was obviously a very good thing. But I didn't I didn't come to the inn regularly at that point uh, through my freshman year. I probably came you know maybe once a month and. And then that started to increase. But as I got in uh, around about the the beginning and middle of my sophomore year, there was something that that became a, a little more clear to me. And that was I was coming here on Tuesday nights to the inn a lot more regularly. But by Thursday or Friday, I had pretty much forgot whatever had been said here. Then I would go to church on Sunday and hopefully redeem myself from whatever I did on Saturday. And then I would come to the inn on Tuesday in large part to, you know, kind of do a pre-penance for whatever I was going to do on Thursday and Friday. Okay, that was, that was a bit of the, of the mentality. That I was approaching with. I was definitely intrigued with Jesus. And in particular the thing that I had never heard growing up. Even though I had grown up growing to church. Was this whole idea about a relationship with Jesus. And I was, as I was coming to the end. I was hearing more and more about what a relationship with Jesus looked like. And it started to make sense. And it led me to this point as I was well aware. And intrigued by the things that were being said here and and tracking with a lot of it, Uh, but then recognizing that, that with the things I was hearing on Tuesday and Sunday were not adding up with what I was doing on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And so I found myself in this place going, if I'm going to say that I believe this and this is true, I think it requires a change in my life. Well, the the change came about in pursuing this relationship with Jesus. Believing it was true. Finding out who is this God that I'm told loves me anyway even in the the ways that I I was profoundly aware of, my sin, my failure, my insecurities. And the message I was hearing was, this God loves you anyway. I was hearing about a God who's consistent in that God's mercies are new every morning. And then where it all came together for me, on a Tuesday night right here was after I heard a sermon preached through Romans 8. And the great, the great verse at the end of, of Romans 8 that where Paul, the Apostle Paul says, For I am convinced that there is nothing in all of creation that can separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus. I started to believe this. I started to experience this. And all of a sudden, the way that I was behaving on Thursday and Friday started to change. The way that I was interacting on Saturday began to change. Now, if I'm to be totally honest, as, as I became more into Jesus, there was concern that I... I would alienate myself from guys in the fraternity, or they would feel alienated by me. I didn't want to lose a wonderful group of friends that I adored by becoming too much of a Jesus freak. What happened is that as I looked around at other Christians that were in the fraternity, I saw that there was a respect in the way that the the other guys in the house saw the way that they lived. That they appreciated that there was something different about them, yet they still participated with things in the house. But did so in a bit of a different way. What I think Daniel shows us is that, that wonderful tension of being able to participate in the prevailing culture, but remaining consistent based on believing in one who is consistent, and an integrity comes out of that. You see, for me, Jesus stabilized my personality. It set me free from having to be one person on Tuesday, a different person on Thursday, a different person on Friday, and then get it all right again for Sunday there was a tremendous amount of relief found in that for me even as i had anxieties about losing friends because of it in the great changes in all, coming from a small town to a big school and living in a fraternity in the great change i found one who was consistent whose name is Jesus, and integrity followed. You see, we're not called to integrity. We're called to be in relationship with God. This God that has given His Son for us, and to be in relationship with Him. We're called to that relationship, and being called to that relationship integrity follows. You see, we live in a world that is dying for integrity. Look at this thing that we call the Great Recession and you hear countless stories about people that lost thousands, millions, if not billions of dollars because people were not playing by the rules. There's a whole new list of rules that are given in accounting because it needed Integrity. But we're not called to integrity. We're called to Jesus. And when we put roots down in that consistency, that mercy, that grace, that there is nothing that can separate us from it. And we believe it. Integrity follows. You see, with all those stories, integrity is is an expensive commodity. It's not easy to put those roots down in the one who is consistent because as we've talked about, there is so much that tries to push you off of it or take you away from it. But when we say no to the king's table when we remain true to the one who is consistent, to rooting ourselves in the grace and mercy shown to us in Jesus Christ, integrity follows. And friends, our world desperately needs that integrity. So the encouragement to you tonight, in the midst of all that is changing in your life, a changed major, a changed vocation, a changed living situation, a changed roommate, find the one who is consistent, whose mercies are new every morning, whose love you cannot be separated from. And this integrity to love, to be the same person on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday will follow. That's good news. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for your prophet Daniel. Thank you that he shows us what it means to live in the world, but not of it. What it means to follow you, to serve you, and to be faithful to those around him as well. Lord, may we be people of integrity. People who could be salt and light in our neighborhood, in our schools, in our jobs. Lord, in the world we live in because we know the world needs it. The world needs you. And that is what we want to bear witness to. So Lord, by your Holy Spirit, move us, change us, transform us, get us fired up for uh, the year that lies ahead. And may we root ourselves in you. It's in Christ's name we pray.